Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In her intimate featured documentary debut, Marusa Sirochkoskaya takes us on an amazing journey, an intimate journey in this film, How to Save a Dead Friend. She explores the turbulent love story between herself, a suicidal 16-year-old, as she falls in love with a humorous grunge kid by the name of Kimi Morith. Fueled by drugs and music, the inseparable couple film the euphoria, anxiety, and misery of their precarious existence under the shadow of their oppressive Russian government. We're joined today by director Marusa Siroshkoskaya. Marusa, welcome to Film School Radio. I want to begin by congratulating you on this film. How to Save a Dead Friend is very powerful on an emotional level. It's also a window into a world to which I am not familiar, have not been familiar with what is life like in today's Russia. What is it like to live under a regime that is become so oppressive? But also, the other side of this is the very personal nature of the material, your very complicated relationship with Kimmy. How were you able to navigate all of that? in pulling the material together, in overseeing the production of it, overseeing the editing, and, and how does that manifest itself in the final product that we see in How to Save a Dead Friend? Yeah, it wasn't an easy task to, to work on this film, especially in the very beginning. I started to work on it uh, two years after Kimi passed away. And yeah, it was really hard to watch all the archives I had uh, just emotionally very hard. But also it was the the biggest creative challenge, I would say, was that the material I had wasn't intended to to become a film in the first point when I was filming it. So I had a lot of very different materials shot on different cameras with different frames per second, different mediums and we, me and um, the editor of the film, Kutaibu Barhamji, we had to make it work. <laughs> it, it was challenging. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. Well, how many hours do you did you have in total that you had to kind of go? Uh, not that much. Uh, I think it was 150. For a documentary film, that isn't that much. I, I mean, you yeah. hear people were using 800,000, 2,000 hours of film to go through before they get to the final product. But... But nonetheless, it is a very intimate film. There is, uh, there's so much of the film that's shot with just the two of you, Kimmy and yourself, in a room, in a difficult kind of relationship that has substance abuse issues involved. There is a lot going on in the film. At what point did you decide that you wanted to make a documentary film about this relationship? And, and also the greater context, which I think is an important part of the film, is you grew up in Russia, you've lived your life in Russia at a time when you're living under an oppressive regime. So at what point did you say, I'm going to make this documentary film and this is really what I want out of it? 
Uh, well, I had these thoughts when Kimi passed away, but for uh, for a year and a half, two years, it was really hard to to you know to to watch all the materials I had and to see if there is a film there at all. It took me some time, uh, around two years, to to be able to to be ready to start working on it. Mm -hmm. But of course, me and Kimi were shooting each other, and we were joking that we're you know, making this film. We didn't know what kind of film we were making, you know, but it, it, when you have a person around you with a camera for more than two days, you start thinking that there is this film that you're both making. But we didn't have anything in particular. Again, um, to the degree that it's important to the film, it feels like to me watching it, I think it, the, the uh, nickname is depression federation which is which is your term in the film for russia mm. in terms of just sort of the the macro part of living in a in a country that is going through so much trauma so much upheaval and how much that does play out in personal relationships how does that translate from living in that environment to how it impacts your day-to-day -day relationship with each other and with your family and and the rest of it how much does that impact you? A lot. I mean, uh, well, this story didn't happen in vacuum. And there's so many things that uh, affected us directly or indirectly. And uh, if we, if it was a different time, different country, uh, I believe Kimi would have uh, gotten better help uh, with his mental problems and with his drug problems and yeah in russia the, 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 there's really huge stigmatization of people who do drugs uh, from this stigmatization comes self-stigmatization when you think that you're not worth a better life just because you're uh, doing drugs or you have a problematic drug use and it it kind of takes all your hope away because you think, why should I change? Why should I uh, have a better life? I'm not worth it. In the film, we get to see some part of the healthcare system in Russia, that how they deal with, with that and how they deal with other people who are experiencing um, mental health issues. Um, but I want to go back because I want to go back to the joy of the relationship that you experienced with Kimmy, why you fell in love with him. What was it that about him that attracted you uh, together to get together? Let's talk a little bit about relationships and how that all, how it came about. Uh, with, Kimi, with Kimi, I don't know, we just clicked. And I was, I was very depressed and I was really, uh, I didn't know how to talk about it. Uh, with my friends, with my family, I didn't have the right, I don't know, words. Uh, but uh, with Kimi, I felt like he was going through something similar and he understood me without any words. And also when I was feeling really bad, he was, you know, just there, just, just being there, sitting with me and, you know, it, it helped. So yeah, I felt like yeah, where he knows what it's like, and yeah, it's uh, yeah. What was it about his personality? He seemed like a someone with a good sense of humor. He seemed like 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it does. It's Plus, you connected on music. There was sort of a particular interest that you obviously shared, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. And yeah, he he had an amazing sense of humor. And actually, all of his family has um, an amazing <laughs> sense of humor. So, yeah, and uh, we we like the same music and we we wanted to form a band at some point, but Kimi didn't have uh, like a musical ear. So <laughs> we started dating instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did see you play I mean, your play guitar in, in, in the film. It looked like you were beginning to sort of become musically inclined and wanted to play so i get that by the way i want it just in terms of the music that i do here in the film that we do here in the film is uh how similar it is to the grunge movement here the sort of joy division the even the nirvana i know nirvana i can't it's nirvana had such an impact not just here in the United States. It seems like that's that music translated, despite any kind of uh, barrier to understanding the words. It seems to have translated all over the world. It seems to have really connected with with young people, people who love. Yeah, it. yeah, I agree. Yeah, one of my favorite albums is uh, Holes. Uh, Live through this, which you play a little bit of in the in the. Yeah. In the- Oh, it's an amazing a, album. It is an amazing album. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I'm not sure that Courtney wrote all of it or even, you know, how it all played out, but it was it's one of the best albums I I can remember in terms of capturing a moment in time and just sort of understanding what it the angst of going through what a lot of us go through in terms of things that we think are the end of the world in some way and it it really spoke. It really spoke to me even I mean yeah, so I, I, it's great to hear. It was just great to hear. It struck me hearing the just the first few chords from that out from that song. Um, yeah, amazing stuff. Um, well, so in terms of once you decide to make the documentary film, and you're going through all the material, and you've got some getting funding for something like this, and you, you, this is the first time you've attempted to make a film. Let's talk a little bit about the process of going out and finding money, finding the right people to surround yourself with. What was that like for you? Yeah, we knew from the start that we cannot really finance it in Russia because because of you know topics of uh, drugs, depression, suicide. It, it would be impossible to to get money for for a film like this, and then we have to to go through censorship and to make some other version. So we knew it's not the way, and. Uh, uh, we thought that okay. What's the other option? Uh, we need co-production. We need to find partners in other countries, and uh, unfortunately, it's a very common road for a lot of uh, uh, independent filmmakers in Russia, especially documentary filmmakers. Uh, my producer uh, Ksenia, Russian producer, she went to uh, Eurodoc. It's a workshop for uh, creative producers, and she met. Uh, Maria Adamson, who became our Swedish producer, and also she met uh, our French producer and uh, also German partner there. So Eurodoc was this force that c- connected, <laughs> started this project. Yeah, and then we also uh, Mario uh, invited his friend and a producer from Norway. So all in all, it's. Uh, Swedish, French, German, Norwegian co-production. 
it's a commentary on Russian life and it's a story that happened in Russia. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. The difference, I think, between Europe and the United States is rarely do I hear or see that level of sort of cooperative effort across borders that I see mm. films that come out of Europe. It's not uncommon to see the Swedes and, and the Germans and the Norwegians working on a film, or at least contributing to either the financing or whatever it might be, the mentorship even. And so I think that's a huge difference. The sort of the public support for the arts seems to be very strong, much stronger than it is here in the United States. Mm. So it's, it's mm -hmm. you know, wonderful to see that. Again, I just sort of revisit the idea that Russia is obviously going through an awful lot right now with social unrest. I know there have been a lot of protests surrounding the war against Ukraine. Where are where do you feel like it, people of your generation are in terms of the state of things in Russia? And if you don't want to get too far into this, I understand. But I'm just kind of curious your your take on where things are particularly in light of the fact that it doesn't seem like the war in Ukraine is going as to plan, basically, as as was intended by Vladimir Putin. But I'm, how do you sense what's going on? Well, since the war started, uh, Russia became even more uh, of an oppressive state. And right now, actually, it's really hard to protest or uh, because you just get arrested right away. Or, and then you go either to jail or you pay a, a big fine financing the state. So right now, it doesn't really make sense to protest. Uh, there are other things that people do that I think make more sense. I'm not going to say it out loud. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. I, I, there are other forms of, uh, of protesting without yeah. actually going out with a... Right. With, with you but, know with it. But more like what I'm more looking at is the economic outlook was not great before the war started and I'm just wondering that it's, there's been a tremendous amount of pressure brought to bear on the Russian economy over these last few months I'm just wondering how it's bearing out in terms of day-to-day -day life in Russia do you have a sense of how that's playing out uh... Uh, I think everybody thought it would be worse, but uh, it, actually it wasn't that bad. The prices uh, uh, rose just a little bit, but I've read in some articles that uh, the economy is going to be like a stagnation, but a really slow one. Yeah, everything is a bit more expensive than it was before, but... Not overwhelmingly bad, right? No, no, no. And I just want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Marisau Sirochkovskaya, and she is the director of this wonderful documentary film called How to Save a Dead Friend. And you can find out more about the film by going to howtosaveadeadfriend.com. That's howtosaveadeadfriend.com. It's, I believe, the world premiere at uh, Doc NYC. Do I have that right, or is that the U.S.? Uh, no, it's the U.S. premiere. The world yes. premiere was in April okay. in uh, Festival Vision Druil in uh, Switzerland. Very good, excellent. And uh, it is uh, it, the U.S. premiere at uh, Doc NYC. To my mind, the premier documentary film festival. Um, certainly in the United States and maybe in the world in terms of just getting a lot of wonderful films out in front of a lot of people. 
It is a, as I said at the beginning of our conversation, an intimate and loving tribute to a, a relationship that you had and and all of the different ramifications that follow from it and very raw. And I, I thought he just did a wonderful job in terms of telling the story, giving everyone, particularly Kimmy and and yourself, I mean, you were certainly, <laughs> you're certainly uh, flaws and all are in the film, and it's it's uh, easy to see why you you were caught up in this relationship. Uh, and uh, for you to share it with the world, thank you, thank you for the way that the film plays out, and my congratulations to you on all of it for for the premiere here in the U.S. For you're very welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. What next? What do you, what's next on the horizon for you? Well, right now I'm uh, traveling with the film and uh, it's really hard to sit down and think about future projects, but I'm hoping that maybe in the next month or two, uh, I'm going to have some time and maybe I'll start developing some ideas. I have a couple of ideas, but I need to think. <laughs> I don't have time to think yet. <laughs> well, you started this in 2015, 2016 is when you started the project. Uh, I started in the late 2018. 18. Yeah. So yeah. Here we are four years later. So that's a long time. Although for. Yeah. But, but we had COVID, you know, I yeah. think if it wasn't for COVID, because we had to edit through Skype with my editor. He was in Paris, I was in Moscow, so we had to to edit through Skype, and it took uh, a lot of time. <laughs> well, all of it's a learning experience, right? At this point, first yeah. film, you learned a lot. Next time out, you'll know more of what you want and how you want to go about doing it. Well, Marisal Sirovskotskaya, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you so much for your patience and for this wonderful film called How to Save a Dead Friend. Please come back anytime. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for this conversation. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.